for the Indians. One run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. From the Gateway Lounge in Sioux Falls, it's Nobody's Listening Anyway. Here are your hosts, John Gaskins and Matt Zimmer. All right, not yet at the Gateway Lounge, but it feels like those days are coming soon. I'm John Gaskins of the Canaries Merchandise Shop, Sioux Falls Baseball Stadium, better known as the Birdcage. It's where I work now. It's where we're going to have 59 glorious nights and shows out here at the ballparks in less than a month. And Matt Zimmer, home as usual, about ready to, to cook dinner for the, uh, for the family. And we are uh, in the midst of week one of the FCS playoffs. Now it feels for real, right, Zim? Now that the Jacks have beaten the Bison, they're the number one seed. It's their clearest, clearest path to a national title, at least maybe for, for some of the Jackrabbit fans who you've said are relatively apathetic. Do, do you now get the sense that, okay, this is a real football season. They're going after a real national title. I don't want to beat the same drum we've been beating, but now we've got a clearer picture of what's ahead. Well, I think winning that game certainly wakes everyone's ass up a little bit. You know, anyone who was hesitant to get on the bandwagon or, you know, pay attention, that's what it takes, you know, that and, and especially coming when it did, you know, the last game of this weird regular season and going right into the playoffs. And then the very next day, you find out that not only did they get the number one seed, but that the bracket is heavily slanted in their favor. I mean, this is kind of a win the national champ, or at least get to the national championship or bust kind of thing for SDSU. I think it's really been set up that clearly for them. So, yeah, I, th- I think that definitely gives people who maybe if they didn't want to get into this spring football season or didn't care or whatever, like it's kind of hard to ignore it now. Uh, and I think too, you know, they announced already that they've sold out the 25% capacity that is allowed for the game, and that might not sound like much. Um, but the two home games they had during the regular season, they drew like 2,500 people. That's far less than 25%. You know, they could have sold a lot more tickets to those games. They didn't because people just weren't that into it. And uh, even though it is a small number, the fact that just a couple days after the game, they're already, you know, able to sell out that, you know, 25%. Of, so I'm guessing it's around, you know, like 4,000 fans, 3,800, something like that, whatever it is. That's a pretty good indicator that, you know, people are jumping on the bandwagon here. Yeah, it, usually four thousand for a playoff game means uh, that's that's what the Jackrabbits get when it's at full capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually for a shitty weather game in December, uh, but also that you know Stiegelmeyer will complain about as he should uh, of of people not showing up there. And we'll I haven't seen the weather forecast, but this yeah, it's it's far more reasonable weather than you would get in December. So that's great. Um, the I. I I'll report to you my je- my bison friend Greg uh, up up near Fargo. Uh, he he's he's one of these hardcore NDSU fans who whenever they win a game, especially if it's against SDSU, he'll just his Facebook status will be a big green screen and it'll just say hail the bison in yellow so i put on of course i put on his facebook page a blue screen with hail the jackrabbits on saturday and his response back because all of a sudden his all of a sudden his facebook page was uh, you know kind of blank and uh nothing the lights aren't on and um 
So his response was, yep, the Jacks were the better team, and now the playoffs begin dot, dot, dot. Hashtag bunnies always choke when it counts. Hashtag could, uh, could, uh, oh, could, something about a national title. It's these stupid hashtag things where they don't separate the words. Hell, could the Jacks at least make a national title appearance? That's where it is. So to your point, um, it's uh, like I, I shouldn't say I feel sorry for John Stiegelmeyer because it's it's weird every year top five program and then there it just it, it hasn't ended in the ultimate fashion yet and usually ends heartbreakingly and it kind of feels like this is it, it, how much of a scar will this be if they don't win it or if they don't make the title game oh it'll be bad um, I don't think John will get fired. I think at this point it's pretty clear he's going to coach until that contract is up and be allowed to, you know, exit gracefully or whatever. But it would be the kind of loss, I think, where it's like, okay, you know, this this kind of defines the legacy. You couldn't get it done. You know, if you can't do it this time, you're never going to do it. And that doesn't mean that that's true, but it's just that, you know, like I said, it's never been – I mean, it, it's almost like the NCAA committee was like, how can we get the Jackrabbits to first? <laughs> That's literally how it looks. Uh, and I think that has, and they're, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that it's like a, some sort of conspiracy or that it's unfair or anything. I mean, they earned it. You know, I think they deserve to be the number one seed based on, I don't know, James Madison, you know, they're undefeated. They were the number one team. They didn't play anybody. So I get it. The Jacks won in Fargo fairly convincingly. Uh, their last two games have been, you know, comfortable, relatively comfortable wins against good teams, top five or top ten, whatever Southern Illinois was at the time. So the resume is certainly there. Um, but then also to put NDSU, UND, James Madison, all on the other side of the bracket, um, kind of seems like they took advantage of the opportunity to quote-unquote punish the Bison. Because for it's been obvious for the last couple of years the NCAA is sick of them winning the championship every year and they're trying to make their path harder and harder you really every year. You really think so? Do you think yeah. it's because if it were on just paper by its merit individual year by individual year the Bison Well, just go back to 2019. Yeah. Um the Bison had earned if you earn the number 1 spot in theory it's supposed to be okay you have, you know, not so much the easiest path necessarily but you know that's how they're supposed to draw it up. And the Bison in 2019, it looked like they went out of their way to give them, or maybe it was 2018. I don't, they all run together, obviously. But it just sort of looked like they were saying, all right, we're sick of this team winning it all the time. And for, quite frankly, they should be. It's not good for the FCS level that the same team has won eight of the last nine national championships. You know, that doesn't happen at any other level of sports other than, you know, maybe high school somewhere. But mm-hmm. um, it, they're, they're, I got, they're, it makes sense for there to be a, a motivation to want Jesus, we need someone else to win this thing. It's starting to become a problem. So long, long way of saying, I get it. You know, the way that they, they set this thing up, it's not like it's unfair. SDSU won the game. They needed to win. It kind of gave them the excuse they needed to make them the number one seed. But again, they, they're home for potentially three games. Don't have to play JMU. Don't have to play UND, the team that beat them. Don't have to play NDSU again or go to the Fargo Dome. Um, you know, the the best team they potentially would have to play is either going to be Weber State in the second round or Jacksonville State, the fourth seed uh, in the semifinals. If they don't get it done this year, it, it's going to be one of those things where SDSU fans, it's going to be hard to come back from it. You know, yeah. like, if we didn't do it this time, we're never going to do it. Right. And I'll depart from North Dakota State for a moment. I, I do want to get to the glass shattering heard around the Dakotas from when the Jacks clinched 
the victory on Saturday. Talk a little bit more about the win and what it means for the for the two programs specifically, Jacks versus Bison. Naturally, Bison fans, we predicted this. We expected that they're downplaying the game. They're downplaying. They will downplay an SDSU national title. Yet if they would have won the game and then they win the national title, I mean, maybe they'd say, geez, Jax, you can't even beat us on the year when, uh, you know, things bounce your way and blah, 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 and it's not really a real season. But likely they'd just be playing up that they're still dominant. They're still the Kings. And they will if they win the national title. But I'll sidestep to James Madison, the one team that hasn't that has won the national title outside of Fargo in the last nine years. And the quote that you used from their head coach, Kurt Kignetti, uh, thanking the committee for providing us with extra inspiration because uh, JMU, as you wrote, was widely expected to get the nod. And you've also mentioned that this is the Missouri Valley Football Conference Invitational. Five of the 16 teams are from the best league, and SDSU is the best team from the best league, and they earn the automatic qualifier. They get the number one. Seems like good credentials, right? So what is your reaction to the JMU coach basically uh, passive-aggressively bitching about not getting the number one seed? Well, I don't blame him. I mean, if you're the number one team in the in the poll, and not just the poll. I mean, the poll is one thing. You know, that's media, coaches, whatever. The NCAA, the committees, are they don't have anything to do with that poll. But then a couple of weeks ago, they came out with their pre-playoff playoff rankings. They do that every year in the FCS. They come out with these playoff rankings where basically the committee, the NCAA, whoever, sort of gives you, a, it's sort of like a peek into what they're thinking. Yeah. You know, like, here's what where we're leaning with, you know, two weeks left, three weeks left, whatever it is, when they release it. Well, JMU was number one on that list, and they didn't lose. You know, it's not like something happened between then and now for them to lose their grip on that. Um, I think the thing that hurt them, and I mentioned this in my column, was the CAA, the conference that houses James Madison, they decided that they, what they were going to do is if there was a tie atop the conference, they would vote on who gets the automatic qualifier. Well, there was a tie between James Madison and Delaware, and they voted for Delaware. I don't know why. I, I guess probably I haven't paid a lot of attention to that conference. I've heard that James Madison isn't very good this year, at least you know, relatively speaking, that they had some unimpressive wins, didn't really play anybody. But just let, this week they played the number 11 team in the country, Richmond, beat them 23-6. to six. And Signetti indicated that they could have run up the score, but because they're such a classy program, they didn't. Um, and that if he'd have known they were in danger of losing the number one seed, you know, he would have run up the score to get a more impressive, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, but anyway, the CAA said, nope, we think Delaware's our champion. And if you're the, if you're the committee, you know, what kind of message does that send? Like, okay, we should make you the number one seed in our entire tournament, even though your own conference wouldn't give you their championship. You know, you're, we're going to give an, an at-large bid is also going to be our number one seed. Like, I get it. I still would be totally pissed off if I was James Madison. I think they did everything that was asked of them, so to speak. But um, is there anyone really right now who doesn't think South Dakota State's the best team based on who they played and how those games went? And another thing that I don't expect people who don't closely follow the Jacks to know, but I know it from having watched all the games this year, they should be 6-0. and I mean, they did lose to North Dakota by 10 points, um, but that was a game where I felt like they beat themselves. They just kind of, you know, blew some early opportunities and let it get away from them. But I definitely felt watching that game like, wow, they really blew a chance to win a, another big road game here. They were the better team. And that seems to have, you know, played out that way since with killing Southern Illinois and Carbondale and then beating the Bison in Fargo. I mean, you win in Fargo, that means something. And we saw it not just 
with the Jacks getting the number one seed, but also Southern Illinois getting into the tournament as one of the at-larges with three losses. You know, I didn't think once they lost their third game, I didn't think there was any way that they were in. Uh, but they got in too, and that's because they had that 38-14 to 14 win over the Bison that snapped their 39-game winning streak. I think that was what got them in. So I don't want to dissect. Uh, well, I do. I do actually want to dissect the South Dakota State win over NDSU. I don't want to downplay going to Fargo and beating the Bison, who were what were they ranked number two coming into this, and SDSU was four, I believe. Correct. Yeah. So uh, you know the Bison had one loss. They don't do it often, but this was a 32-game home winning streak, and you can you go ahead and uh, let's break it down from the crowd to the matchups to the quality of both of these teams and 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 what we got to see play. I understand it was a you know it was a man's win. There were there were hardly any turnovers in the game until one late, um, which was you know as NDSU's last dying ditch attempt. The Jackrabbits rushed the ball three times more yards than NDSU. I mean that is that usually that's the other way around for NDSU and everybody they play. As you wrote, they play the Jacks played Bison football, uh, just suffocating your opponent in ball control and uh, defense. Great. Uh, having said that, so. You're, in your five or six years on the beat covering the Jacks and the Bison, is this the, you know, where does this NDSU team rank? Is is it uh, is it valid, the NDSU fans that say, hey, we lost a bunch of guys from last year, This is our, our, our roster isn't very good, just you wait until next fall? Um, it, It's clear they're not as good as they've been, and I think everyone kind of understood that going into the spring season. You know, there were some players that opted out, the Trey Lance thing happened. Um, you know, I think they had some key injuries too. And then the spring season is just weird anyway. Um, you know, they've lost twice in, in eight games. I, you know, I don't remember the last time they lost two games in a season. Maybe they did once or twice in this run. Um, but that was over the course of, even if they did, that was over the course of, you know, 14 or 15 games, not eight. This is the first time that they didn't at least tie for the conference title since 2010. You know, um, so for them to be six and two and not win the conference, yeah, they're not as good as they have been traditionally. But um, you know, they've had some big games that they needed. They obviously, you know, shit on themselves against Southern Illinois, uh, but that seemed to be a wake-up call. They beat Missouri State, another team that's in the playoffs, twenty-five to nothing. Um, and UND came into the Fargo Dome, you know, kind of with some swagger, thinking, "Hey, we're the new kids on the block that are showing everyone how good we are. We beat the Jacks. We beat Southern Illinois." I think they were ranked like two or three in the country at the time. And a lot of people, you know, thought, hey, this is the biggest game in UND history since they've gone to Division One. Uh, even some of the Fargo media were like, yeah, I think, you know, UND is going to get this done. And the Bison kicked their ass. Um, you know, some of that goes to NDSU still being able to kind of flex their muscle when they have to. Some of it, I think, goes to UND being, as I suspected all along, kind of overrated. Um, but, you know, it's still NDSU, and it's still the Fargo Dome, and they're still the nas- defending national champions. And if you had to, you know, hold a gun to my head right now and ask me who I thought it's going to be in Frisco uh, in a month, I'd still probably put it. I think it, if I had to bet on it, I'd say it's going to be the Jackson and the Bison. I don't think someone's going to knock them off, but we'll see. Uh, it, it's all It's all goofy because, you know, there's so many teams that opted out, so many teams that didn't play, and even a team like the Jacks that you can look at and say, yeah, I think they legitimately – objectively look like the best team in the country. Well, they also had a month off in the middle of the season. And uh, on the one hand, that, you know, certainly provided the opportunity for them 
to get rusty or, or, you know, come up flat or whatever, but it also meant they were really fresh and really healthy and really rested. And I think that certainly played to their benefit on Saturday. Yeah. And to me, the outcome kind of determines the analysis as well. It's now easy for those who doubt SDSU being as good as they are or as good as they were Saturday. And and those are usually Bison fans who also doubt that's as valid of a win as it is most years, because that's partly what they can say is uh, now that they saw what they saw, look, that team had a, you know, they, they were full strength, man. They had no bumps and bruises. They were ready to go. And I'm not saying that's an invalid take. And part of me just thinks, you know, it, I'm not saying this is the first time finally SDSU had a lot of things bounce its way uh, to get a win over North Dakota State and to, to get a number one seed, which is their first time doing so in the FCS playoffs. But it feels like some poetic justice for for that to happen, but they uh, there was also no doubt who was clearly the better team, and not by a little, but by a lot. Even though that technically was a twenty to seventeen game, uh, with, with I mean, what did the Jacks score that touchdown to make it twenty seven seventeen? That was like five minutes left in the game, or something like that. It was whatever. It was. I mean, they had the, they got the ball back with five minutes left. Yeah. Um, up three, and okay. then they. Ran a bunch of clock off and then scored. I mean, it wasn't an ass, it, was a, it wasn't an ass kicking, but even the people I saw in the Bison media were like, "Yeah, that's uh, SDSU is clearly the better team today. They clearly earned that win." So, I mean, is is it is it a big statement going forward for the for the Jackrabbit program that 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 they they've figured out how to play North Dakota State's way, or is it just one game, just mm. one day, just one weird season? Well, I mean, they've they've beat NDSU three of five. Yeah, I don't want to say regularly, really, because especially the you know when they play them in the playoffs, not only can they not beat them, but lately they're they get blown out. Um, so I don't know. I mean, they already knew they could beat them in the regular season. They've done it before, um, and, and you know they've done it enough that I, I think. And even you know, like almost all the regular season meetings last few years have been close, even the ones the Bison have won. So I don't think just winning that game in itself is a huge statement, um, but it's the fact that they did it when they needed it you know mm-hmm. they beat the bison in the past maybe earlier in the season or or you know they got the big win but then there was some other horrible loss you know that sort of offset it and then that meant they still had to end up going to fargo in the playoffs and so it's like cool you know bison fans are like yeah great you got us in october well we'll see you in december and we'll kick your ass again and that's what happens every time and you know if the jacks had uh dropped another game in there somewhere and we're, you know, an unseated team or whatever, that's, that's what would be happening again. But all those other teams, they, they've had some teams in the past. Let's put it this way. North Dakota state is so much better than everyone else. And has been for the last decade. If you would just take them out, if they had not been an FCS member for the last 10 years, the Jacks would probably have one or two national championships by now. They've had some really, really good teams yep. uh, the last few years. You know, some of those Zach Zenner and Austin Sumner teams, but also the Taron Christian, Jake Winicky, Dallas Goddard era, some really good teams. Um, but, you know, they would lose that game to Youngstown State in the regular season, which then forced them to go to James Madison in the playoffs. Or lose that game to Northern Iowa yeah. that forced them to go to the Fargo Dome in the playoffs. Mm. They've never yep. taken care of business in the regular season to the degree that they had everything set up for them in the playoffs. Now they finally did that. So now is the time where there's no excuses. There's no, well, they're going to go have to go here or this, you know, that and the other. You know, people can say, your buddy said earlier, Jack's always choke at the big one. Well, not really. Um, losing to the Bison in the Fargo Dome in the playoffs, that's not a choke. No. You're supposed to lose there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, losing to James Madison in the semifinals in Virginia. Now, granted, the way that game played out. It was a bad look, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ten turnovers. Losing it in itself, that isn't necessarily a choke either. Um, They just never have even been able to get themselves into this position. Well, now they finally did. Let's see what happens. All right. So, uh, what was? I'm curious, what was the atmosphere like with those uh, 8,000 out of whatever it is, 20,000 seats filled? Um, Well, Jeff Kolpak had made the joke earlier in the week that it's like a church in there. Um, it was not that bad. It, they certainly were capable of creating noise. It's funny. I heard that the Jacks were going to pipe in proud, proud noise during practice to prepare for it. And I was kind of like, do they really even need to do that? You know, and then I went to practice and they were doing it. And I was kind of like, gee, I don't know. But I, uh, you know, better safe than sorry, whatever. Well, then the game started and there were a few times, you know, big third down where, yeah, like they were able to make enough noise that, Certainly not as much noise as twice as many fans would have been, but you they definitely made their presence felt. You could hear them. It was, you know, the closest thing to a honest-to-God, real-life sporting event that it feels like I've been at in a year and a half. Um, would have been cooler if there were 16,000, and it was weird walking into the Fargo Dome on a 60-degree spring day, but, uh, you know, it was... It, it, it was better than nothing, I guess. That's It was not the same, but it was better than, you know, some of the other environments we've seen. So not quite as hostile than it usually would be for the Jacks to overcome. No, but, I mean, it was definitely decided. It's not like it didn't feel like a road game. Like I said, I mean, right. 8,000 8, is four times as much as the Jacks had at either of their two home games this year. <laughs> and, well, I was there in 2016 when the Jacks won, and that was like, that felt like the big breakthrough win for the Jacks program kind of vaulting them into continuous top 10, if not top five status. And I think it was, yeah. That, that, and that was the, that was a similar game where the Jacks really can really controlled a lot of the game and made the big plays when it counted. Dominated goals. statistically, but only won by two points. And, yeah. and, and silenced the crowd. I mean, of course the crowd was, uh, was a, was a thunderous roar on the game winning drive that the Jacks went down. You know, they had to overcome that on every play, but overall I remember stretches of the game where the crowd was mum because the Jacks were just controlling it and giving them nothing to cheer about. And uh, there you could feel I was sitting amongst a bunch of Bison fans and you could feel the collective kind of nervousness of, oh, okay, SDSU's here to play today. So um so again, I'm you know kind of trying to poke holes in anything, <laughs> anything Bison fans you know kind of want to kind of, kind of want to throw at the validity of uh, of all this, which we, you know we've been doing. I don't know for where you're getting that from. This I don't know Bison. This uh, are Go you ahead. actually hearing from a bunch of Bison fans that they don't think the Jacks are legit or they think these games are all fake? Well, I'm not. I'm, I have heard none yeah. of that. I'm not saying a bunch. It's 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 a couple. It, well, it's McFeely who just says it's a joke of a season. So of course, it, and it's felt like a it's felt like an exhibition. Yeah, I mean, I've read from, um, yeah, I read from some on Saturday, and I can't remember if I don't know if they were USD or NDSU fans, but it was. This has felt like a pre. This has felt like a preseason, and um, and it's it's not going to count as much uh it, it was it was after i had p- put up the statement of after the game was over let the chorus of ndsu fans and i have heard none of that yeah from NDSU okay. fans. and a few people replied back in touch in in as such so um whatever so i because we, ndsu's in it i mean that's the and that's yes. what I said a couple uh yeah podcasts ago yeah, you know if, right. if sdsu won a title with James Madison and North Dakota State and Illinois State, a bunch of great teams yeah. opting out, then, yeah, be like, this is yeah. BS. This is a fake title. Sure. But all the best teams are playing. Yes. You can definitely say, hey, that was a weird year. Remember how dumb that was? Uh, I'll, I'll use the Dodgers example for the millionth time. Like, right. 
it's still the championship and all those teams that are you know the in your way to getting the trophy are still playing so i think that legitimizes it uh is this game on tv the jackrabbits game on saturday against holy cross espn3 midco can't televise it because it's a playoff game there you go but it'll probably be on at the gateway lounge 41st street west 41st street in sioux falls just right off the i-29 exit uh great place to go and watch these fcs playoff games and the jackrabbits and uh it was a great place to watch the the bison game i'm sure i'm not gonna pretend i was there but uh that bison game on saturday and okay i want to actually get to some specifics about the jackrabbits team the players observations heading into the playoffs um but i'll get to the i'll get to the glass um because i because you were you were there so were you how how near the the shattering glass from the jackrabbit coach's box were you and what was the story behind it i was about i don't know eight feet to the right if you're facing the field yeah of that window and i heard it immediately and pretty much knew immediately what had happened um all throughout the game you know the coaches were sitting directly behind us the the press row in the fargo dome is an, is open air like we're just sitting on a row of seats that's above the last low, row of the bleachers and then the windows of the coaches suites and radio and everything are above us at least the bison radio are above us so i was sitting there jason hove the sid sitting to my left and then Tyler Merriam and Alex Parker, the radio guys, were sitting to Jason's left. And there were two bo- booths of Jack's coaches. The offensive coaches, I believe, were behind me and Jason. And the defensive coaches were behind Tyler and Alex. And every time the Jacks made a big play, the coaches would be, you know, boom, boom, boom. You could hear them thumping on the window, just kind of, you know, like in, in celebration. That's their way of, like, clapping or whatever, yep, you know. Yep. And uh, at the end of the game... Uh, I think it was – I don't remember if it was the interception or the – I don't remember which play it was. But all of a sudden you just hear this – and it's not like – you ever hear – it's not very often in our lives we hear a big pane of glass breaking in real life, you know? Yeah. That's something you hear on TV or in a movie or something. Well, this sounded exactly like it sounds when you hear it. Like it just – that unmistakable sound of you're watching some show where – Glasses shattered by yeah. a bullet. It's or like a the uh, or a, like the some, sound of some drunk guy getting yeah. thrown through the window or something. You know? Like the glass shattering at the beginning of Billy Joel's. Uh, yes, you may yes. be right. I may be cre- yes. yes, yeah, yes. It's the sound effect they use here at the Birdcage for Canaries games whenever there's yes, a, foul a foul ball that ball. goes into exactly. the parking lot. Okay. That's exactly what it sounded like. Okay, and uh, I didn't look right away. I kind of did this like, what the hell was that sort of thing. <laughs> And Jason kind of freaked out. Understandably, that's, you know, he's an employee of the school. It's kind of his job to worry about those sorts of things. <laughs> so we look over and look up and you see the big hole in the glass. And there's pieces of broken glass everywhere on the floor in front of the window. And I look over and Alex, when he heard it, it looked like he kind of ducked for cover. Whereas I think Tyler just stood there and took it. Plus, he was on the air. I mean, it's not yeah. like he... and. Tyler, being the consummate professional, I don't think he said, like, oh, my God, what just happened? He tried to just kind of complete his call without acknowledging it. Although he did say later, when he listened to the replay, you can hear the glass break. Yeah. Did he acknowledge acknowledge it at all? I think he did later. I'm not entirely sure. Okay. But anyway, he got nailed. Like, he was covered in broken glass. Fortunately, you know, didn't get 
cut or injured in any way. Nobody got hurt. Um, and it, you know, then it was funny. Then seconds later, there's another big play and the offensive coaches in the other booth, they start banging on the glass again. And Jason actually had to like, stop that. Like, <laughs> like, we just broke one glass, you know? And, uh, so that was kind of funny. And, uh, Jason already had to go down cause it was the, near the end of the game and start getting set the press conference set up. Cause we do it via zoom because of COVID. So he had to go down there and start getting that set up. And you could just tell the look on Jason's face. He's like, God damn it. You know, just another thing I have to deal with. And uh, NDSU's people started, like, people start gradually catching on to what happened. And, um, you know, it wasn't that big. You could tell that the NDSU staff that were there were annoyed. You know, they're like, really, guys? But they weren't, like, furious. And, you know, there were some fans after the game was over that, kind of started barking up towards us. They're like, real classy, Jax. It's like, well, you're, you're talking to me and Tyler. We didn't have anything to do with it. You know, we're just kind of staring back at him. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure who did it, so I don't want to name names. Um, there were a couple coaches who looked like they might have been involved who definitely had a very somber sort of, oops, I fucked up sort of look on their face. But, uh, you know, the, the thing when we were talking yesterday, I, I said if they had lost – and one of the coaches had, coaches had done that in anger. I think that would be a really bad look. And I think that would be the kind of thing where if you're Stig, I'm certainly not saying you fire a guy over, but, you're, but you kind of like, really, dude? Like, this is a really poor reflection on us. Like, have some fucking class. Uh, but the fact that it was done in celebration, you know, a, a, a thrilling moment, a big win. And it's not like, you know, obviously SDSU is going to pay for it. Um, no one got hurt. It's just kind of a slightly embarrassing thing for the Jacks that I think if you're the Bison, you laugh it off. Uh, the few comments I got from people on Twitter, it, it seemed like everyone was kind of having a laugh about it. No one seemed to think it was that big of a deal. So uh, I think it'll blow over. Although I did mention to you yesterday, if I was NDSU, I would uh, make sure to find the single most expensive glass repair place I could <laughs> yes. uh, to make sure that the bill that we hand the Jacks is as high as we could possibly make it, because obviously they're going to cover that for them. But otherwise, I, you know, yeah. I think it's just kind of, it, if anything, it kind of adds to the, you know, this is always going to be a historic win. It's always going to be a, a major moment in Jackrabbit history, and this just kind of adds to the lore. You know, it gives you another element to hey remember in 2021 2020 that weird covid season yeah. when they played in the spring and we went up to fargo and beat the bison and, yeah i remember at the end of the game they were so excited one of the coaches broke the glass in the press box window that's hilarious like it, it kind of i think over the years will take on a life of its own that will i don't want to say it's a positive necessarily but i think that'll be a a funny memory probably for both sides right and it's uh i did i I don't know if the TV coverage caught it live at the time. I I don't think it did. No, uh, because I was as as I told you. Well, I, they don't have cameras pointing behind the press box. Yeah, so. it's uh, who knows. Uh, I mean, because I because you'd think. I mean, it, it's something that you would think at some point everybody in the stadium would notice, or would it be? I mean, it's it's hard for you to say because you were right there. You weren't all the way across the way to know if it, I mean if it was something that was a big distraction to the game or. It wasn't. Did most a, most I mean, people did a, didn't notice. Okay, really? Not a bunch of yeah. people did not look back up at it. And well, I mean, it was a noisy stadium. I mean, yeah. I heard it, yeah. but I was five feet away. Right. You know? I mean, you don't. And, some don't travel that far. And the only people that were in harm's way were really Tyler Merriam. Is he? Is I mean, he, whoever he, was seated directly in front of Tyler yeah. probably got a little bit of glass in their lap. Yeah. But uh, 
Tyler got the brunt of it. Because I think there was somebody on Twitter, a Bison fan, who was like, here, I've got a remnant, or I've got... Uh, I took home or, a piece. Yeah, I know souvenir. you did. Yeah. But some, I think some lady took, I think a Bison fan had it in her hair, and she took a picture, but whatever. Um, but you're right. Like, when they do the... Mon- if My point is, if they had taken footage of the glass at some point... I don't know. You, you know, those every year when there's like an Ohio State Michigan game, for example, they're going to show at some point in the broadcast a montage of quick highlights of some of the more famous games and famous things that happened. Woody Hayes punching the guy. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, uh, that was Gator Bowl Clemson. But, but perfect example. Yes. And right. um, and so that's if they had captured that, th- that would be part of the highlight reel or the lore, as you say, of the rivalry. And I, you know, it's pretty funny. But I'm glad you're mentioning that's really we don't. It's not. It's not a. It's not anything that has been blown up or should be over amplified. It's it was it was just a thing. Although that thing, I, I, that's the first time I've ever known of a of glass shattering from a from a coach's box window. So it's interesting. Um, well, let's let's take it back to the field. Uh, this you you've mentioned this team's playing really well, although they hadn't played in a month. But they're stacking up some good impressive wins so and you say that they deserve the number one ranking do they do they feel like a favorite do they feel like um you know the battleship barging down the sea right now i mean i don't know if anybody does because you know covid has made everything weird and it's a much shorter season smaller sample size every team i think is flawed um but you know for the better part of the last half decade to full decade, it's been MDSU and the field. And many times in that scenario, the Jacks were arguably the best team in the field outside of MDSU. So there was always sort of this sense like, well, geez, it's too bad there's this one team that's so good because otherwise, well, this year, MDSU, as we mentioned, still very good team, still very much a threat to win the national championship but by no means head and shoulders above everybody else like they have been. Now, do I think the Jacks are head and shoulders above everyone else? No. Like I said, they are also a flawed team. Uh, Their performance the last two games, I can't say last two weeks, because, again, it's two games in the space of a month, but their performance in the last two games is really encouraging because early in the year, God, they were frustrating to watch, even when they were winning. Uh, Season opener against Northern Iowa, they dominate the first half. Felt like they should have been up by three scores. There were some coaching mistakes. There were some turnovers, some terrible special teams. And they're damn lucky they didn't lose that game. They found a way to survive and win. Uh, then the next week, North Dakota, like I said, come on again. Same thing. First 10 minutes of the game, it's like, oh, man, they're by far the better team here today. This could be a route. Well, they drop a touchdown pass. They miss a field goal. They screw some shit up. Next thing you know, it snowballs on them. And they I don't want to say they quit, but they – Definitely did not uh, show the sort of uh, resolve that you would expect. Man, getting beat by 10. And at that point, you know, we had no idea how the playoff thing was going to work out. If, you know, at-large bids, what the committee was going to do. So you're kind of thinking like, geez, the Jacks lose one more game. That might be enough to knock them out of the playoffs. Turns out that probably wouldn't have been the case. But they did not lose another game. But they did still continue to be frustrating. Uh, The one home game I covered, Youngstown State was winless at the time. And again, the Jacks were so clearly the better team, just personnel-wise. But they're damn lucky they won that game. I mean, they just dicked around for three and a half quarters and just, you know, seemed disinterested at times and were very lucky to escape with a win. And at that point, they're sitting there at, I think they were three and one. And it's like, okay, they're three and one. And NDSU clearly 
isn't the NDSU of old, but this team just doesn't seem to want to put it together and reach their potential and play as well as they can. Well, then they go to Southern Illinois, who at the time was rolling, and they were kind of, I think they were ranked like fifth in the country, and they started, their players were talking like they were the best team in the country, and the Jacks just absolutely annihilated them, 44 to 3. And they took their foot off the gas early in that game. It could have been even worse. And Stig has since said that's the best performance by any team he has coached in his 24 years. That's the closest to a perfect football game that he has presided over. Um, So it was unfortunate that they had that month off because you're kind of thinking, okay, it's going to, you know, they have this momentum going and they're going to lose it. Well, that didn't happen in part because, again, that month off did give them a chance to get healthy and all that kind of thing. But now you're coming off. Two outstanding performances in a row. They're healthy. Yes, Arthur, what? Um, did you never try to avoid in the front? Yes, I did know that. Thank you. Um, what do so, you ask? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, Good way but, to get rid of them. So, so they're playing very, very well right now. And, you know, the other thing that this whole month off thing that everyone kind of wondered what it was going to do to them. Um, normally this time of year, and when I say this time of year, what I mean is playoffs, obviously not April, you know, you're, you've, you've played 12, 13 games and you've got, you know, seven or eight key players are probably out like on the shelf injured. Then you've probably got anywhere from 10 to 20 more who are just beat up and banged up and, you know, still playing, but you know, (laughs) really hurting guys that are in treatment all week or guys that are being held out of practice so that they can be healthy on Saturday. Well, Jacks don't have literally none of that right now. They have not only nobody out injured other than Jabore Gibbs, but I mean, like, everyone's basically 100%. They don't have guys in getting treatment. They don't have guys that are saying, like, well, I can't practice this week because I want to be good to go Saturday. And I think maybe we underestimated just how important that was going to be and how beneficial that can be over the next four weeks here. He's Matt Zimmer. I'm John Gaskins. Nobody's listening anyway. A little Twins talk coming up. They've got their own problems, speaking of decimations due to COVID. Uh, they're playing a team that's played three games uh, in, in Holy Cross on Saturday. You did a preview of them on the at the Argus Leader. Now, this is a higher caliber, you'd think, challenge than they would normally get in a in their first game, but I guess they would, they'd get a bye and... Uh, but you know what I'm saying? It's this is only a 16 team field, so this is the yeah. This but is, this is still kind of the equivalent of the last. Te- I mean, this is right. Yeah, literally a, like a 116 in an NCAA tournament type okay. of deal. So there's know? so this. I mean, should we waste much time on if uh, if there's an upset bid here? I I, I mean, I'm not going to say it's that there's absolutely no chance whatsoever, but it's pretty close to that. Um, you know, the Patriot League has only recently gone full scholarship uh, at the FCS level. Um, they only played three games, uh, and they were only three games against conference foes. Uh, in the past, whenever they've played an FBS team or even a higher-level FCS team, like even Yale, Harvard, some of those Ivy League teams, they've been beaten pretty soundly. And uh, in talking to their coach today, great dude, um, and, you know, he seems very clear-eyed about this whole thing. Um, but I get the sense, certainly not that they're not going to try to win the game, obviously, but he almost seems to kind of be taking the approach with his guys kind of the same way a 16 seed in the NCAA tournament would like, hey, guys, go have fun. You know, this is a cool thing for us. We're going to get to travel, play in this big stadium and challenge the number one team in the country. Let's go out and, you know, have a good time and see what happens. You know, th- I don't get the sense that he's really 
cracking the whip on these guys, you know, you have to do, you know, like it, it seems a little bit like, you know, we got nothing to lose. Let's go have a good time. And again, maybe that'll work out and it'll, it'll keep them in the game. They'll obviously probably try to do some things to, to shorten the game and stay with them. They're a running team anyway. Okay. Uh, but I think, I think a, a shitload of things would have to go wrong for the Jacks for them to even be in danger of losing yeah, that game. A few turnovers and stuff like that. And then, they didn't turn it over against North Dakota State. I mean, is there – what's the weakness of this Jackrabbit team? I mean, you kind of mentioned how the season played out, but uh, when it comes to their you – know, what, what they what they present in a football sense, what type of team is this? I mean, I guess you could say it's their passing game. Um, but even – nah, I wouldn't say that, I guess. I mean, the Yankee Twins have turned out to be really good at wide mm-hmm. receiver when we weren't sure what would happen without Cade Johnson. They haven't thrown the ball a lot, but in, largely because they haven't had to. Need to, you know? yeah. and, and And Mark Gronowski has been really good. He hasn't been mm-hmm. perfect. Thrown some interceptions, made some mistakes. Um, he occasionally has some inaccuracy, some bouts with inaccuracy, but, man, he throws a good deep ball. And the, I, I can't stress enough how much the guys on the team just love this kid. And, you know, we've said that before about Jabore Gibbs, about Taron Christian, about Zach Lujan, but it seems like it's a little different with this guy. Like, they – really just seem to gravitate towards him and rally around him. And uh, they've got a good thing going there. And then, you know, with the way Isaiah Davis, the freshman running back, has emerged, you've essentially got a three-headed monster in the backfield with Gronowski and Pierre Strong and Davis. That's how they ran for 300 yards last week. All three of them basically ran for 100, and that's kind of what they've been doing. So, you know, <laughs> you attack with that, and then when you have to throw it, you've got the Yankee twins, you've got a – buttload of really good tight ends and Mm -hmm. the offensive line has been pretty good Uh, the defense has been very solid all year long it's kind of a I wouldn't call it a no-name defense but they're they just because there's several really good players on that defense but they don't rely on one or two stars you know I mean they've got a ton of depth they play a ton of guys especially on the defensive line that's probably my favorite thing about this team is just how you know, so many teams rely on that one or two stud defensive linemen, you know, that edge pass rusher mm-hmm. or that guy in the middle. And the Jacks have those guys, but they have five, six, seven of them, and they play them all. And they don't ever let one guy, you know, just, well, you're so good, you have to play every snap. You know, they, they, they continue to run guys in and out, and it just keeps them fresh, and it makes them so good, especially in the fourth quarter. Um, the secondary, I think, has exceeded my expectations a little bit. If you would have to pick out a weakness, I guess you'd say it was uh, special teams because especially early in the year, it was a nightmare. They were getting kicks blocked and giving up big returns, and that was really a problem. But they seem to have uh, gotten that in shaped up in the last couple weeks. And uh, Cole Fromm, their kicker, um, has been pretty reliable. Uh, hasn't hit any you know big 55-yarders, although I don't know that they've asked him to. But, you know, Chase Vinatieri was such a hot and cold, you know, you knew he had the ability to hit that huge kick, but also you knew he might miss an extra point every game. Mm. Whereas Cole Fromm has just gone out there and anything under, you know, 35, 40 yards is pretty much automatic. And at the college level, you'll take that. You know, yeah. if you stall inside the red zone, inside the red zone, he's probably going to get you three points. By the way, you, uh, I know how Stig loves to reference the f- offensive line as the fat guys. And uh, I think you should. I think you should just offer him some advice and now call uh, his tight end unit the buttload. The buttload of good tight ends. <laughs> See what he thinks about that. Man, you know, he's getting to well, that. He's getting to that it, point where he's pretty mellow and uh, cool about everything. Why not? It's funny. Um, I you know everyone knows what he means by fat guys, and 
you know, I don't think anyone takes offense to it. Although it's, it's always funny when he says it in front of, you know, media or someone from another yeah. town, they don't get it or they're like, what's he, you know, they kind of always are like, oh, what did he just say? But that's sort of one of the differences between the Jacks of today and the Jacks of some past teams and certainly the Division Two era or even just comparing them to some of the teams they play. You know, uh, you look at the Jacks offensive line in the year 2021. Yeah. You go stand by that offensive line group. Those guys are not fat. Yeah, um, they are just six foot six, six foot seven, and three hundred thirty pounds. I mean, you got to be that way. I mean, it feels like because defensive linemen are, have been getting much stronger and bigger and less. And I'm, you know, sometimes the guys in the middle, like your Linval Josephs, are you know they're big piles of fat. But, right. I mean, m- much more and more defensive linemen are athletic and they're strong, and right. uh, that's partly why. You know, offensive lines and running games tend to get dominated sometimes in major college and pro football because of that discrepancy. So it helps well, to have guys as, who aren't as just as great fat. as the Carson Wentz's and Trey Lance's and Easton Sticks and those all those players are. Um, it's been the offensive and defensive lines that have made yeah. NDSU what they have been for the last decade. And I think you know, it, to the Jacks' credit, it's not like they just figured that out. Mm-hmm. I think you know, five six years ago when I first took over on the Jacks' beat and was trying to kind of get to know the team a little bit on a little bit deeper level than just, oh, yeah, they have this guy named Zach Zenner. You know, it was kind of like you could see that their offensive line did not measure up. It wasn't bad, but it was just like, okay, you know, they've got some NFL dudes carrying the football, but they don't have NFL dudes blocking for them. And it's been an almost decade-long process of building that. It's not something you just build overnight. You just can't go out and recruit five stud offensive linemen and have them the next day all be All-Americans. It doesn't work that way. And they've swung and missed on some guys or missed, you know, some guys they thought were going to be great and weren't. Some other guys, they, you know, were just started off as walk-ons and are now starters. Um, But five across the board, those starters are all pretty good. Um, They've got some depth behind them now, too. And I I don't think it's coincidence that we're talking about how much better their offensive line is and then how much deeper their defensive line is. And lo and behold, they beat NDSU this year and are potentially having a chance to play for their first national championship. All right. So Jackson Holy Cross on Saturday and uh, we'll get more into that next week. We're going to talk more about, you mentioned him, Trey Lance, because we'll have our podcast right before the NFL draft starts and whatever we expect from the Vikings to have. Very exciting. Uh, I'll sp- we'll spend the last 10 minutes or so here on the Twins and what hasn't happened, which is games and why, because of a COVID outbreak on the team, at least a few guys, Max Kepler being one of them. We learned of that today. Oh, um, I didn't hear that. Yeah. It, what's that? You didn't know that? Yeah, I hadn't heard that. Oh, yeah. Uh, Kevin Garlick and Max Kepler and left-handed reliever Caleb Thielbar the uh, former Jackrabbit and uh, and current Augustana pitching coach, right? Or he'll come back and do that? Or he's not the Correct. pitching coach? Correct. He's okay. still their pitching coach. Yeah. Yes. On the COVID injured list Tuesday before a doubleheader with the A's in Oakland. So that's uh, that's per Judd Zolgad, which was probably per other uh, outlets. So, yeah. To replace three players on the active roster, the Twins reinstated outfielder Brent Rooker from the 10-day injured list, recalled infielder Travis Blankenhorn from the taxi squad and selected contra- the contract of right-handed pitcher Luke Farrell from the taxi squad. Twins did not play their final two games of the weekend in Anaheim. Also had Monday's game in Oakland postponed because of issues with COVID-19. We're recording at 609 on Tuesday, and a lot of people, I, I think there is some sentiment that why and how are they going to get this game played? These games played in Oakland, but uh, they're off and running. A's are leading 2 nothing in the top of the third, and they'll have another one at 9.30 tonight. But here's, uh, to me, you know, we, if we're going to hit on one thing and what happened here, 
It's uh, look, we both of us, everybody's everybody's got COVID fatigue, COVID talk fatigue, vaccine talk fatigue. We all feel like better days are ahead for all of us, whether you're anti-vaxxers or pro-vaxxers, whether you're COVID hoaxers or not, um, whatever, how you feel about the media and politicians like we're, we're getting close to where we don't have that thing. But Zim, this is pretty glaring. A guy who was an anti-vaxxer, Aldrin Ton Simmons, who I believe you said was the player you were most looking forward to seeing this year. Um, He's the anti-vaxxer, and he's the guy supposedly who got the COVID and spread the COVID on the team. And now, you know, they had to have at least a couple games. I think we're up to three now that have been postponed. Because they're West Coast games on the West Coast, they might be difficult, if not impossible, to make up. And the Twins, a team that are expected to win their division and or make the playoffs, uh, you know, who, who knows how vital those wins could have been had they played it. And it starts, correct me if I'm wrong, with an anti-vaxxer who eventually got COVID and spread it. And that's that, that just pisses me off in general, and I would think it would piss some Twins fans off. Yeah, I don't think he's the most popular guy in Twins territory right now. Um, it's certainly possible that it would have happened anyway because I think they all got vaccinated like a day or two before he tested positive, mm. and it generally takes you know a while for the vaccine to kick in, especially if you need the second shot. Okay. But still, the fact that he's an anti-vaxxer could also mean that he just you know wasn't being careful, that he was like, screw you guys, I'll do whatever I want. Who knows? Um, at the very least, it's a terrible look that the guy was like, yeah, like because the Twins literally, you know, we're – airing commercials during their games with the players all saying, I'm getting the shot, I'm getting the shot. And it appeared that most of them were doing it. And for him to be like, yeah, no, I'm not getting the shot. Yeah. And then a couple days later, be like, oh, hey, sorry, the team's shut down because of me. Bad luck. I will say this. Uh, the way the team, you know, they got off to a pretty good start. They were, what, 5-2, and two, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, easily could have been 7-0. and oh, you know. And then even, I think at one point they were 5-5. Five and five, And a friend of mine and I were like, God, if Rocco would just make one decision that would work, right? They could be like ten and zero right now. Yeah. Well, that was your whole thing last it, week, yeah. And it just got worse and worse and worse to where this thing was becoming a shit show. And as frustrated as I am with Rocco, I, I, it's not so much that I blame him as just feel like, man, every single button he is pushing is the wrong one right now. Like sometimes I think managers just get in a slump the same way players do. Like no matter. Don't get me wrong. Plenty of decisions he made that I was like, why are you doing that? That's stupid. But there's plenty of other ones. I was like, yep, I would do that too. And it blew up in his face. And it's just kind of like, wow, nothing can go right for this guy right now. So what I'm getting at is all this shit has happened to this team where it's snowballing to the point that one minute you're five and two and looking like a playoff team. The next minute, nothing will go right for you at all. When Simmons tested positive and they shut down for a couple of games, I was like, good. (laughs) <laughs> the best thing for this team right now is to not play. They need to somehow like ah. get rid of this bad juju that's following them around, whatever it is. Um, because especially that game against the Angels where Thielbar came in, gave the gave up the grand slam. It's like they were losing all these close games. And it was, you know, it, it's better to be losing close games than getting blown out because generally that shows that, you know, you, you're a good team that you're in it. You could win all those games. Um, but you lose too many close games in a row. And then frustration starts to boil over and you start going, all right, now we're getting pissed off. We keep losing three to two, four to three, five, to four, you know, all these late inning games, blowing leads, all this stuff. It kind of looked like that night was the game where everyone's like, all right, <laughs> this has officially gotten to everyone. You know, th- got tempers are, are flaring. Frustration is boiling over. And then the COVID thing happened the next day. As angry as I was at Simmons, just for being a general dumbass. Yeah. And a bad and teammate, adding, by the way. 
Yes, and a bad teammate, absolutely. Um, I still kind of thought, you know what, it's maybe not the worst thing if this team just doesn't play for a couple of days. Well, yeah, I guess it, within the flow of what's going on, that makes sense. If we get to the end of the year and they fall short of a playoff berth or a division title that costs them home field advantage of some degree, then, I mean, it'd be impossible not to go back and look at games they could have won. Um, but they also could have been games they could have lost. I get that. And it's the whole 162-game season thing. Uh, I heard mentioned, you know, that year where the Twins started Oh, and whatever it was, 9, 2011, the year after Joe Maurer signed his big deal and then he got hurt and was and, and was out. And uh, th- there was one stretch for a month where the tw- of that year where they were terrible and, and uh, started their downward spiral for several years where they were the best team in baseball just for a stretch. It made no sense, but that's what happens in baseball. And um, so it's hard to overreact to any sort of any sort of flow a team gets in, unless it's just glaring like nine or ten wins or losses in a row, then you got something. And for what it's worth, the Kansas City Royals are the first place team in the AL Central right now. Yeah, I'd it's, be more it's nervous April 20- if the White Sox it's, yeah. or Indians were running away with it. Yeah, but it's April 20th, so you can't just sit here and say, oh yeah, the Royals, oh boy, look out for them in September. Maybe, but... Uh, you know, it's April twentieth. Um, last one for you. I saved. I tr- I saved the best for last. And I I, for, I didn't. I didn't do it last time. I actually called you back after we recorded a solid, whatever it was, hour and three minutes, and uh, you you had already left and hung up on me. And um, and you know, and I don't know if you didn't see the call or you're like, no, John, we're not doing anymore. <laughs> I hung up on you. <laughs> Probably the latter. Do you remember? No. Okay, whatever. So I saved it for this one because two podcasts ago, somebody uh, somebody tweeted at us. I think it was Greg Merrigan, and he said, I, I really enjoy the podcast. Few more F-bo- few, a few fewer F-bombs would be nice. And, um, and so I went back and I heard, and I was like, yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I only counted three or four F-bombs, but... Uh, but you know, you—it was one podcast where you said about eighty-seven shits. It was just you were on a shit roll that that <laughs> podcast. You just said shit like everything was bullshit or shit the bed. They shit themselves, and uh, so I you know, I tweeted back, and he got a chuckle out of it. Like you know, if you can, the f bombs are light, but if you can stand eighty-seven shits, you'll be fine. So so I saw I you know sometimes you just run into things on social media that come out of nowhere, and you know. And uh, sometimes they become things and sometimes they don't. And I don't know how much of a thing this became. Did you run across this thing last week where uh, you <laughs> you replaced the first four or in whatever case, all four, like you and me, letters of your of your first and last names with F-U-C-K, both of them. So so for me, it came out to my name would be Fkins. Sounds like mine would be Fkins. There you go. Exactly. That's the dumbest game I've ever heard in my life. I thought it was Someone funny, though. Who enjoys using the F word sparingly. <laughs> eh, not sparingly. Fairly regularly. Okay. That's dumb. Okay. Fucker. <laughs> uh, All are... right. Jeez. Oh, sorry. Okay. You have to go back and beep that out. This is getting past where I'm comfortable with it. For crying out loud. For cry... For F's sake. All right. I'll do that. All right. Have a good week, sir. And uh, we'll uh, we'll talk NFL draft next week. Are you excited about that? Yeah, I talked to Kate Johnson, so we should have something to talk about for it. Cool. Bye. Bye. Of course, Kate Johnson, the former All-American wide receiver for South Dakota State, whose presence against the Bison would have been mammoth.
on Saturday. More big play ability. Jacks may have scored a few more points, bombarded the Bison a little bit more. At the very least, his absence counters some of the absences that Bison fans claim have made NDSU less of a threat than normal this spring. But just you wait till next fall. Whatever. Uh, it's, it's healthy for the rivalry that South Dakota State won this game, and there might be a little bit of debate about how much it really means. But uh, can't wait to see what happens in the playoffs. Again, great place to go to watch the Jackson Holy Cross and all the remaining Jacks football games. As always, is the Gateway Lounge. This place is spectacular for when a bunch of different sporting events are going on all at once because of their over 30 high-def TVs whose setup in that place is such that no matter where you sit, if it's an NFL Sunday and there are several games going on, you're going to be able to see all of them in in view without having to really move or swivel your head or jerk your head around the place and find an open TV. It's also great for the NCAA tournament games that way. But when there's one game, one big game like the Super Bowl, I mean, especially if you're a Chiefs fan, it's a Chiefs bar, or a Monday night or Sunday night game, uh, or a Jackrabbit playoff game, look, it still uh, is just a great gathering spot for you to watch and enjoy at well above average bar food. Whatever you think of bar food, take it. This place steps its game up. Some of the best pizza in town, some of the best and meatiest chicken wings in town. As good of a lunch special you get anywhere in town. Uh, you know, they got their chicken fried steak and mashed potatoes with a sugar cookie for just seven bucks. Uh, they had stuff today like a taco salad, uh, tomato soup, and a sugar cookie. Uh, they Jackson, the manager, on both his Facebook page and the and the gateways, social media, I mean, they make it fun. They, he always comes up with good gifts and memes to give you a chuckle. And uh, they're just good people, good servers. Uh, they hire the right staff. Uh, it's an experience every time you go in there. It's like an old friend. It's like an old shoe that seems to fit. The Gateway Lounge, West 41st Street, just off of I-29. Zim and I will be there soon. We're both vaccinated and uh, feeling like, uh, you know, full speed ahead, which we are also going with the Sioux Falls Canaries. Yes, a plug for the people that write my paychecks. The season is less than a month away. 59 home games this year, as opposed to the uh, usual 50, or I believe we only had 33 uh, 36, something like that last summer because of the shortened season due to the pandemic. But uh, we will be at uh, near full capacity this summer. And uh, we have a brand new half million dollar video board, which will enhance the entertainment and the experience when fans come out here by like infinity uh, compared to as what Zim wrote, our old early, literally early 90s scoreboard and video board that we have. But it will go well beyond the video board. We have new owners who want to make this experience the best social gathering place in Sioux Falls. Safely, of course, but uh, it's 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 just been a great experience for fans of all ages. You know that. You've been to Canaries games, but maybe it's been a while. Uh, there are a lot of reasons to come back this year. Number one, okay, like number five, I'm the entertainment director. I've got a lot of help, but uh, our owners are giving green lights for us to put together a bunch of creative and fun stuff. It goes well beyond the baseball when you come out here. Your kids will thank you for it. It's going to be a very kid-friendly, family-fun place. Uh, get out of the house and enjoy a summer's night. So get ready. Check out our schedule at sfcanaries.com. Uh, we're going to be rolling out our theme nights, You know what to expect on any given Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, uh, or our really big promotion. Emotional nights where you have giveaways and a fun, you know, wacky theme. We, uh, our minds have been uh, almost out of control having fun, dreaming up the kind of fun you're going to have when you come to a Sioux Falls Canaries show. Not just games, our shows this summer. 
Uh, that'll do it for Matt Zimmer. I'm John Gaskins. Talk to you next week on Nobody's Listening Anyway. Why are you laughing? That was a terrible outro. Fuck you. <laughs> you know, round drinks? Yes. Yeah.